Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about whether things are king-size or king-sized, a meaty middle about when it's okay to be redundant, and a tidbit about the phrase mind your P's and Q's. Last week, in the sponsor message, you heard me talk about a king-size mattress from Casper. And that reminded me that a listener named Louie had asked me whether he should write about small and mid-size businesses— or small and mid-sized businesses? The short answer is that the better choice is size, not sized, king-sized and mid-sized, although some dictionaries list king-sized and mid-sized as alternatives. And, as is often the case with hyphens, the answer about them isn't as clear. King-size usually appears hyphenated, but mid-size is routinely seen with and without a hyphen, and some dictionaries show it hyphenated, and others don't. So hyphenate king size, and just decide which way you like to write midsize, and put it in your style guide, and then be consistent. Madman fans will likely be as surprised and intrigued as I was to discover that, although the Oxford English Dictionary has one example of king size from the early 1800s, it looks as if the term only took hold once it appeared in Regent cigarette ads in the early 1940s. King-size Regent cigarettes fixed the term king-size in our modern vocabulary. Mattress makers expanded the regal universe to include queen-size in the late 1950s. Ads for mid-size cars may have also helped establish that term in American English, although mid-size did appear occasionally earlier in other contexts. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Don't add a D to the end. King size and mid size are the words you want, not king sized or mid sized. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. 
You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by the Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as The Washington Post and The Guardian said, Missing Pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. And now on to the meaty middle. The Elements of Style by Strunk and White is one of the most popular usage guides of modern times. And the book's advice, omit needless words, may be the most memorable and repeated maxim from that book. It's an example of its own command. It has no needless words. And it appeals to any teacher whose students pad their ideas with fluff to reach a required word count. Despite its simplicity, however, the maxim leaves us with one open question. What makes a word needless? One simple measure is whether a word adds meaning, and the answer can vary from sentence to sentence. Consider the word personally. At first, it seems to be redundant. Don't the following sentences mean the same thing? Personally, I want lasagna for dinner and I want lasagna for dinner. Although it's true that both sentences mean the writer wants lasagna, adding personally to the beginning acknowledges that other people are involved. With personally, it sounds like less of a demand, or it can even convey a sense of resentment or superiority. Personally, I want lasagna for dinner, but you know we always end up having what George wants. And personally, I never call mom before noon, but Edith seems to think it's fine. Would those sentences mean the same things without personally? Yes, but the writer would also have sounded less put-upon and self-righteous without the word personally. Personally can also emphasize disagreement with an authority, and I have to do this, but I don't want to feeling. For example, 
Personally, I believe the company should reimburse you for those cocktails you sent to Lady Gaga's table in Las Vegas at 3 a.m. It was clearly a business development opportunity. But Mr. Purstrings doesn't agree. Reflexive pronouns, such as myself, himself, and herself, can also add emphasis in ways that seem redundant at first glance. Certainly the actions are the same in these sentences, but the emphasis is different. I baked the cake. And I baked the cake myself. The first sentence, I baked the cake, is a simple statement, perhaps the answer to a question. Maybe someone asked, who baked the cake? The myself in the second sentence, I baked the cake myself, adds a different feeling. For example, it could convey a sense of accomplishment from a 10-year-old who had baked his first cake, or a sense of abandonment from someone who expected to bake the cake with a friend. A few weeks ago, I was talking with reporters from my local radio station, and they said they'd been debating whether it would be redundant to say that the unemployment rate remains unchanged at 5%, or whatever the rate was. I'm sure I have the number wrong, but you get the idea. Remains and unchanged convey the same idea. You could say the unemployment rate remains at 5%, or the unemployment rate is unchanged at 5%. And they both mean the same thing. But the reporters had decided it was okay to use both words because remains and unchanged together added emphasis which is especially important in an audio program where people may miss a word or two. And I agreed. It may be technically redundant, but it doesn't bother me at all. Social graces also play an often overlooked role in word choice and can be a justifiable reason to include unnecessary words. You didn't get the job is sufficient to convey your meaning, but adding a needless lead-in helps soften the blow. I'm just writing to let you know that you didn't get the job. Yes, it includes unnecessary words, but it also sounds nicer. In some cases, words are technically redundant, but serve a clarifying purpose. For example, chai means tea in Hindi. Therefore, chai tea technically means tea tea. In America, however, the word tea calls to mind simple black tea. In our culture, chai is a special kind of tea, and the word chai on the menu adds specificity. When chai was first introduced in America, customers probably wouldn't have known that it was tea if they just saw the word chai on the menu. So writing chai tea was a wise business choice. Today, now that most people are familiar with chai, you can make more of an argument that the word tea is redundant or unnecessary. Similarly, cider is technically juice pressed from apples, meaning that apple cider is redundant. But given that we can now buy blueberry cider, peach cider, and so on, apple cider makes it more clear what's in the bottle. Dialects and regionalisms can also employ redundancy and wordiness, and fiction writers who want their characters to sound authentic embrace these quirks. For example, a character from Newfoundland may say, me, I think we should have lasagna. And a grocer during the Depression may have insisted on being paid with cash money. Business writers, of course, should generally avoid such phrases. Finally, we have cliches and simple redundancies that allow us to omit needless words 
without wringing our hands about exceptions, niceties, and technicalities. For example, it's just an ATM, not an ATM machine. Things are the same, not exactly the same. Every novel is a fiction novel, so leave out the word fiction. I know that's a big pet peeve among literary agents. And noon is always 12 o'clock, so you don't have to say 12 noon. You can see the transcript of this article at quickanddirtytips.com for a longer list of examples. That segment was written by me, Mignon Fogarty, and a version of it originally appeared in Office Pro magazine. Before we get to the tidbit about the origin of the phrase, mind your P's and Q's, I want to remind you that if your kids are already bored this summer and you want to give them something educational to do, you can get my iOS app called Grammar Pop. It has 28 levels and more than 14,000 words you match with their part of speech to pop clouds. I've gotten lots of great feedback from parents and teachers who say their kids loved it. And if you already have Grammar Pop, remember, when you play levels again, you get new sentences. So just because you've finished all the levels doesn't mean you're finished with the game. That's Grammar Pop, available for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod. And now, your tidbit. There are multiple delightful and unproven theories about the origin of the phrase, mind your P's and Q's. My favorite is that bartenders used to shout it during fights to tell people to watch their pints and quarts. But the Oxford English Dictionary says that origin story, quote, can neither be substantiated or dismissed, unquote. All the reference books I checked say that the origin of the phrase is unknown. Interestingly, the earliest uses actually aren't plural and don't give any hint about the origin. P and Q, K-E-W, simply meant high quality. For example, here's a sentence from the year 1612. Bring in a quart of Malagu, right true, and look, you rogue, that it be P and Q. <laughs> or it could also mean at your best. Here's an example from 1607. At her P and Q, neither merchant's daughter, alderman's wife, Young country gentlewoman nor courier's mistress could match her. I've heard people say that it means mind your pleases and your thank yous, as something an adult would say to a child, or that it relates to choreographed dances that were performed in the French court. But there's no evidence to support these origins. Nor is there any evidence to back up that it comes from telling children to avoid mixing up the letters P and Q when they're learning to write or that it comes from typesetters mixing up letters. You may be wondering how exactly to write P's and Q's. If you've ever been to one of my book signings, it's very likely that I wrote Mind Your P's and Q's in your book. I think it's a fun phrase, and I love that it uses an exception. The exception is that you normally don't use apostrophes to make things plural, but you do use apostrophes to make single letters plural, such as P and Q. The apostrophe is especially important when you're writing about A's, I's, and U's, because without the apostrophe, readers could easily think you're writing the words as, is, and us. But the rule applies to all single letters. You can write the letters themselves, either uppercase or lowercase. That part is a style choice. And that was your tidbit. Nobody actually knows where we get the phrase, mind your P's and Q's. It's a mystery. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. 
You can find all my other podcasts and articles at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef, and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.